Welcome, friends. My name is Debbie Lawrence, and this is Episode 9 of the Compassionate Leader School Podcast. Let me set the stage. When it comes to your work and your family, you're deeply committed to being your best, the best wife, the best husband, the best mother, father, sister, brother, you get the picture. You're also deeply committed to giving your business or your career your best. You're doing what it takes to fulfill your mandate, to be responsive to your clients, to be a cheerleader for your team, to keep all the balls juggling in the air, or at least that's your true intention. With everything that's been happening, you're probably facing the reality of having to do more with fewer and fewer resources. You have to plan and thrive in the middle of the instability of dealing with external factors well beyond your control. And in so many situations, you don't even know what those factors are yet. And on top of all of that, you're possibly witnessing a growing need for help from those you serve, increased daily demands from kids being homeschooled and frustrated from being stuck at home, concerns for loved ones you can't even go and see, and seeing greater and greater need from the community in general. This, my friends, is the perfect storm for the emergence of compassion fatigue. And we absolutely need to be talking about it now more than ever. By definition, compassion fatigue is a condition characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion, leading to a diminished ability to empathize or feel compassion for others. And it's often described as the negative cost of caring. And when it takes hold, it can leave you feeling exhausted because you say yes, and then you're in a knot with guilt when you say no. Why am I talking about it? Well, I'm hearing undertones of it in so many of the conversations I've been having lately with clients and students and even loved ones. And what I know is that if you catch it early enough, you can turn it on its heels. What's needed to do that, you might ask? Well, the answer is resilience. Building resilience. Because building resilience helps you keep compassion fatigue and its first cousin, burnout, at bay, which is why I want to dedicate this episode of the Compassionate Leader School podcast to talking about how we can build and strengthen our resilience. Okay, let's start here. The natural question is, what is resilience? Simply put, Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. And I want to emphasize this. Being resilient doesn't mean you don't ever experience stress, emotional upheaval, or suffering. What it does mean is that when you have built strong resilience muscles, you have at your fingertips the combination of mental toughness and healthy strategies that work together to protect you from the potential negative effects of stress. In a nutshell, it reflects your ability to bounce back. So the more mental toughness you build up and the better tools you have in your toolbox, the easier and faster it'll be to navigate your way through and recover from stressful situations. In today's podcast, I want to start at the beginning and focus on one of the foundational tools you need in order to build your resilience. And that is establishing, clearly communicating, and honoring healthy boundaries in all aspects of your life. 
And when you put this in the context of operating a business, we'll say in the midst of COVID-19, I know you get how critically important it is to be crystal clear with staff and coworkers and customers about how you function together at your place of work because you're operating your business now or once uh, you reopen and go back to work, this will be really important for you to be able to do. I don't know when there's been a more crucial time than right now to have boundaries clearly in place, to be able to articulate them well, and to be non-negotiable when enforcing them. It's actually one of the core pieces of the puzzle that I'm hearing is keeping business leaders up at night. You know, just trying to figure out how we're all going to re-enter and keep everyone safe as we work to avoid the spread of the coronavirus. That makes understanding what boundaries are, why we need them, and how to put them into action vital as we move forward. And remember, the absence of boundaries or being wishy-washy with defining your boundaries or not being committed to standing by them puts you in this crazy and unhealthy cycle where you allow someone to push your boundaries or disregard them altogether. But you don't want to make a fuss or you're afraid you might alter the relationship or you don't want to ruin the moment or you don't want to be seen in a negative light. So you allow it to happen. But that only makes you feel sad, unappreciated, taken for granted, or not valued. And eventually, it makes most of us fed up and angry and unhappy, mostly with ourselves, for not taking a stand for what we believe in and need and value. So we feel terrible about ourselves. And that kickstarts the soundtrack in our heads that feeds our feelings of low self-esteem and not feeling worthy. So what do we do? We seek validation and admiration from others by, you guessed it, giving in to them, which results in not honoring our boundaries. And the cycle starts again. We've all been there, my friend, and I'm here to encourage you to stop the madness. And just so we're clear, boundaries are rules that you set for the people in your life regarding how they treat you. That means you need healthy and strong boundaries at work at home, and in all your personal relationships. Boundaries also serve as a guide for how you'll respond when someone breaks those rules. If you're like me, you've watched an episode or two of the Dr. Phil show over the years, especially in the early days. I remember his teachings, especially from the time on the Oprah Winfrey show. Well, one of his most repeated sayings is, we teach people how to treat us, and nothing is more true than that. We teach people how to treat us. This, in fact, lies at the heart of why it's critical to have boundaries. And when we say boundaries set the rules, here are some of the most common situations we need rules for. Cue Dr. Phil again. You need rules to govern how people treat you. You need rules to guide the way that people speak to you. You need rules around the activities that you are willing to do with people at work and at home and what you're not willing to do. You also need rules to outline the things you're willing to do for others and what you're not willing to do. And this one is huge at work for so many people who find themselves feeling pressured to take on responsibilities that were not part of their original contract, but they don't know how to handle this in the moment. Rules govern what you accept responsibility for and what you're not accountable for for how much and what kind of personal information you're willing to share, for example. And rules also govern uh, for what and how you take a stand for yourself and for other people. Remember, and this one is so true, 
the people who get upset when you establish and communicate and hold strong to your boundaries are always the ones who have been benefiting from you having no boundaries at all. Let me say that again. The people who get upset when you put strong boundaries in place are always the ones who benefit from you having no boundaries. Having healthy boundaries means a number of things. And here's my top five list. Number one, it means you know you're the only one who's responsible for your happiness, so you don't compromise your values just to make other people feel comfortable or to be liked by them. Another way of looking at this is it means you don't play small. Or as Marianne Williamson wrote in her piece called Our Deepest Fear, your playing small doesn't serve this world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. Number two on my list, having healthy boundaries means you say no when you want to and your no means no. The goal is actually to learn to pace yourself so you're ready in critical moments because you pulled back and said no at non-critical moments. Number three, having healthy boundaries means you only offer what you're comfortable giving. Four, it means you don't tolerate any kind of toxic behavior, period. And number five, having healthy boundaries means you don't do things just because you feel guilty. And if it helps, consider this. Whenever you really want to say no and you're feeling guilty about it, stop and ask yourself, by saying no, what am I actually saying yes to? Just like when you say yes, you need to be clear about what you're saying no to. Now, you might be asking, okay, I get why it's important to set boundaries, but how do I go about doing that and making it stick? First, you have to be clear with yourself about exactly what is okay and what is not when it comes to a particular boundary you want to set. When it comes to being successful and having other people clearly understand your boundaries, I like to think of this in the context of playing a game. If you were to bring two teams together on a soccer field, in order for the game to run successfully, players would need to know exactly what the boundaries of the soccer field were so that a player is clear that movement A means the play is out of bounds and let's say they lose possession of the ball, while move B is perfectly okay and play can continue. Players need to know what all the rules of the game are before they even start. And if you want to witness frustration amongst the players and their coaches, just try letting a referee make up a few rules on the spot. We all know this would not be cool and would certainly not be tolerated by anyone, players, coaches, and fans alike. Establishing the rules for your own boundaries are no different. So let's look at a common workplace example. So many people complain about meetings, including those who are responsible for leading meetings. They're frustrated when people are late. They don't like it when coworkers are chatting while someone is speaking on an agenda item. They get annoyed when meeting attendees are constantly glancing at their cell phones or slipping in and out of the meeting for a host of reasons, none of which appear to be critical. They're disappointed when there's little contribution to the meeting items or when people come unprepared to speak on topics and so on. When I say you have to be clear with yourself on exactly what is okay and what is not okay when it comes to setting a boundary, in the case of the staff meeting and cell phone use in particular, you need to decide if cell phones are physically allowed in the meeting at all. And if they are, are they to be in someone's 
book bag or pocket, meaning they can't be on the table? Or is it okay that they're on the table, but they have to be face down? And maybe they have to be silenced or not silenced. For example, I always ask participants to silence their phones and put them on do not disturb as well, because I find the vibrating of a phone, particularly when it's sitting on the surface of a table, and the vibration of the phone goes off because a call is coming in or there's a notification, it always sounds to me like the phone is moving. And I find that just as disruptive to the room as if it were just ringing. So you go through the process for every aspect of the meeting experience until you have clarity around what's okay and what's not okay. And those things create the rules that define the boundary for how people are expected to be when they're in attendance at a meeting that you're responsible for. In the context of COVID-19, you do the same thing. If you own a business, you need to be clear about how everyone, so that's staff, suppliers, customers, anyone, will move and interact while they're in your operation. If you work for someone, you also need to be clear about what makes you feel safe and comfortable and what crosses that line. If you have loved ones coming back home from a day at work, you need to have house rules or boundaries that speak to how they'll decontaminate before or as they re-enter the house. Uh, The list is long and the need is critical. Okay, so you can check step one off your list and we'll move on to step two. In step two, now that you're very black and white about what you need from others to protect and respect the boundary in question, you need to be crystal clear now when explaining exactly what the boundary is that you're setting, what the rules are. This is hard to do, but it's much easier once you've done the work in step one. I would go so far as to say that the reason why people tend to struggle with this step is that they've skipped step one. So when they're communicating the rules governing the boundaries they want others to uphold, what they're communicating is kind of gray and the boundaries by their very nature have to be black and white. There can't be any gray. So to make step two successful, I recommend you first put the rules governing the boundary in writing. Now, it's not unusual for someone to say to me that they find it easier to speak about these rules over having to put them on paper. I think sometimes that's because putting things in writing can be hard. And there's something about the formality of this that makes people reluctant to do it. So I've got to say, please don't give in to that. Get the details outlining your boundaries on paper. That brings us to step number three, which is the all important consequences. And this is the part where you've got to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Boundaries can only be effective if there are consequences for anyone who's not willing to follow through on what's been laid out. And these consequences have to be significant enough that they serve as a deterrent for anyone, including the boundary pusher. You know those people who don't blatantly cross a boundary, but they push, push, push to see just how far they can go. You know, just yesterday, I was at a local restaurant picking up a takeout order, and the the owner had a clear pathway marked with chairs and signs to indicate how you move from the front entrance to the counter to get your order and back out again. And as you can probably guess, as I stood there, no less than two customers entered and immediately jumped the barriers with no concern for having done so. And there was no apparent consequence for this behavior. So I guarantee you the next time those customers come back, they're going to jump the line again. 
Finally, step four is where you sit with the people involved, either one-on-one or as a group. So that means a team meeting or family meeting or gathering of some kind where this is the only item on the agenda, the boundary, and share with them what the boundary is, why, okay, so you had that in step one, why it's important to you and for them and for the company if it's work-related, that's part of step one what the rules are, step one and step two, and what the consequences will be for not respecting this boundary, step four. And make sure you allow for ample time to share, discuss, and answer any questions that come up. All right, my compassionate leaders, your take action challenge this week is to identify one area of your work or home life where boundaries are needed and to do the work of identifying exactly what this boundary looks like how you plan to communicate it, to whom, and what the consequences will be for anyone who chooses not to honor the boundary in the way you ask that it be respected and honored. And as always, be gentle with yourself and be realistic. My experience has been in the beginning, there will be one or more people who will test you to see just how committed you are to holding true to this boundary and your willingness to act on the consequences previously outlined. Oh, you'll have plenty of opportunity to practice, I promise. Or you might think that you're being very clear about how you've communicated the boundary until you get feedback that tells you otherwise. That will mean tweaking it until you get it to where it needs to be. But each time you come back to it, It'll get better and better and clearer and clearer. And you know, you've heard me say, clear is kind. Finally, I want to remind you, if you haven't done so already, please go to my website, debbielawrence.ca and sign up for this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a comment or write a review. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, here's to giving ourselves permission to show up as open, fierce, and compassionate leaders, and always to living life abundantly. Bye for now.